I'm Rob. I'm Joy. And you're listening to Key Light. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Midnight Mass, a 2021 miniseries on Netflix directed by Mike Flanagan. It's a horror series, but it talks a lot about the power of religion. It's the perfect series for both people who don't have religious trauma and are curious to see what that experience is like, and it's also for people who do have religious trauma and need a form of cathartic release, usually through tears. I'm not much of a horror person, but this series was able to keep the jump scares and the cheesy effects to a smaller degree, which I appreciate. Although I will admit the eyes in the dark pattern, especially in the first few episodes, spooked me a few times. Yeah, it's definitely lower on the horror scale compared to Mike Flanagan's other works, particularly Haunting of Hill House, which I'm sure some of you have seen, or Dr. Sleep, which is a feature that he directed. Personally, I've really grown to love horror as a genre, both the cheesy jump scare slasher types and like the genuine existential horror types. Midnight Mass definitely leans closer to the latter with a subtle but no less terrifying threat of the church. So spooky. <laughs> Organized religion, whoa. But seriously, this show does an amazing job of demonstrating how religion, in this case Catholicism, is a really powerful tool that balances on a razor edge between real, tangible good and really horrible stuff. I want to be nice first, so let's be nice. Let's talk about how the show displays the good side of Christianity, specifically the aspect of forgiveness. Neither of us are the biggest fans of Catholicism, uh -uh. but um, I agree that organized religion has the potential for so much good. Forgiveness is such a big theme in the whole show, particularly with the scene where Lisa forgives Joe Colley for putting her in a wheelchair. Other characters also deal with their own processes of forgiveness, Riley forgiving himself for the car accident where he killed someone, Mildred and Sarah forgiving Pruitt, and then Sheriff Hassan forgiving his son at the end for sort of trying to leave um, being a Muslim. And I'm sure there's more that I'm not mentioning, but forgiveness is such a big theme that ties the whole show together. Right. And what is one of the main tenets of Christianity? That God forgives and loves everyone equally, even if you've killed somebody like Riley. Now, we could argue about whether Jesus was real or not, but the point for this show is that religion is a framework for people to find that forgiveness. It could be fake, that whole construct of Christianity, but it doesn't matter. It still has real effects on people, especially during that scene that you mentioned between Lisa and Joe, where she cites Christian tenets to justify her forgiveness. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. That's Proverbs 16.32. Joe, do you know what Proverbs means? What the book of Proverbs is? It means wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge. So, if God can forgive you, and he says he can, all over the place he says it, then I can forgive you. <laughs> this is a really powerful moment in the show, and out of all the monologues, I'd argue this one is top two. So in some cases, Midnight Mass presents a positive view of religion. Religion can be a bit of a double-edged sword. It can push us to be the best of ourselves, but it can also have a powerful hold over us, almost like a noose. As long as you don't struggle, it's okay, but if you try to pull, it tightens and strangles you, turning you into something that isn't you without you even realizing. Sheriff Hassan, in particular, faces this constant disrespect and racism from the town around him, particularly Bev, particularly Bev Keen, Fuck her. for the simple crime of existing as a Muslim man. 
and Bev manipulates the entire town through the lens of God just to curry power. Funnily enough, Bev also uses religion's power to convince the townspeople to drink rat poison, committing mass suicide in the name of, quote-unquote, rebirth. Yep. Fortunately for us, this show sh shines its brightest when it's exploring that darker side of religion. Because while this giant, man-made construct can be used for forgiveness and all that really good stuff, it can also be used for really bad stuff. Like... I don't know, creating an entire town of vampires. No, that thing was a vampire, but they didn't mention the word once in the whole show. And that's why it works so well. They call it an angel, but us as the viewer understands exactly what this creature actually is mm -hmm. and the horror that Pruitt and Bev are enacting on the town. Not only that, but the abilities of a vampire actually fit really well into these characters' view of Christianity. The creature must be an angel. It has wings, and look at the miracles it can grant. I mean, Lisa can walk now, despite being paralyzed for the first half of the show. It's a warning into how easily religion can be twisted to manipulate the masses. All Father Pruitt and Bev needed were a few key scripture quotes and a healthy dose of charisma and manipulation, respectively, and the whole town was ready to drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. In this case, vampire blood hidden in communion wine. <laughs> yeah, that selfishness is so key. Both Bev and Father Pruitt at the end of the series revealed that they weren't motivated by their blind faith. They weren't uh, motivated by their devout Christianity. They were just as selfish as the rest of us, as the rest of the townspeople who wanted to embrace the miracles. But they were able to spin their motives into selfless for the greater good stories. And because these two know Christianity the best, they were able to really dig into that false narrative that they're servants of God. Most of the monologues in this show, which are a highlight of the entire series, are just justifications of that false narrative, like Father Pruitt's impassioned sermons or Bev's creatively used Bible quotes. This man has been a scourge to this community his entire life. He is a sinner, a lech, and a heathen of the first order. He's a maimer of children and a blessing to no one, and God has called in his debt. Father, Monsignor, tell them. Tell them why you did what you did. I don't know. Something came over me. I really, I don't. Because something moved through you. So while horror might be the stated genre of this show, it isn't focused on scaring viewers. Midnight Mass is trying to show us the good, the bad, and the very ugly of organized religion. Mostly the bad and the ugly. I would go so far as to say that religion is mostly neutral. It's just it can be manipulated to the whims of the wielder, both in the good and in the bad. Mostly bad in the case of our society and in the case of Midnight Mass. But even so, there is a lot of good. I think one scene in particular that stands out to me is Annie Flynn's conversation with Bev at the end, where she tells Bev that she's not a good person and that God doesn't love Bev more or less than anyone else, regardless of what she's done in his name. And I think that's just such a core tenant of what Christianity and Catholicism truly should be. It's that God loves everyone equally. And no one is less and no one is more and everyone should act as if that is the gospel truth because it is. The rest of the townspeople, Father Pruitt included, they all come to this sort of conclusion at the end, admitting their own selfishness and finding forgiveness for themselves and singing this hymn to the very end. But Bev stands as this beacon of evil, trying desperately to cling to the gifts she thought she was promised. And all these ideas about Christianity, all this exploration of good and bad, isn't coming out of nowhere. 
For the creator, Mike Flanagan, he's stated in interviews that this idea came from his own experiences growing up Catholic and how he eventually realized the pow what the powers of the church were actually doing. That's part of what makes this show so engrossing and so personal, because it's rooted in his own real-life experiences. Of course, the show's power doesn't purely lie in its writing, it lies in the visuals as well. Flanagan, I think, is a master of the horror genre, particularly in the use of sound and lighting. The entire last episode of the show, or at least most of it, up until the very end where it's sunrise, it's set at night, meaning firelight is the only source of diegetic lighting. Diegetic means the lighting that you can see on camera that's, that you know is part of the story, not any exterior lights that are used in production. But every scene set at night, it's properly lit to the point that you can see the characters, you see the monsters hiding in the dark when you're supposed to, you see the blood spilling from people's wounds. It's not perfect. It's definitely a show you have to watch with the lights off. But I've seen far, far worse in terms of lighting. Just watch anything on the CW. <laughs> and the sound design as well is fantastic, but I, I'm not going to get too deep into that. Obviously, there's so much more we can talk about in regards to the show. I could probably take up the entire episode just talking about the finale of the show. But it's time to move on to our cultural impact section. I think one of the first things that comes up from my remembrance, if you look up Midnight Mass on Google is this Vox article that has the catchy little title of Why I Felt Betrayed by Netflix's Midnight Mass. And the gist of this article is basically that horror is traditionally a genre that, quote, protects the non-believers and atheists from feeling shunned, unquote. But the fact that Midnight Mass presents religion as an option for hope and optimism and forgiveness is a bad thing. You know, why isn't this show uh, making sure and questioning religion in a comp more complete manner? Why isn't it just taking a negative route? And I think while I understand, you know, how a lot of horror is meant to appeal to non-believers and atheists and present religion in a darker light that we usually don't see it in, the fact that it is able to present the good and the bad side simultaneously makes it an even better show than it would have been if it had just been the bad side. So to go off of that single article, there are certainly mixed reviews on Midnight Mass, but I think that dual uh, perception is a strength of Midnight Mass. Yeah, and um, as an atheist who is watching the show, I think I found it fascinating because so rare do you see such a neutral portrayal of religion that you get the good and the bad. And I feel like I've, I very rarely see such like a good and positive portrayal of religion in media. It's so often that you see how dangerous or how oppressive religion can be. But I think there is a lot of beauty to be found in religion. And I liked how Midnight Mass chose to portray that even in like this horror backdrop. Yeah. So going into some of the influences of Midnight Mass, if you dig in a little bit, you can find out that Mike Flanagan has been sitting on this project for years, and it has a lot to do with, as I mentioned before, his personal experience of being a Catholic and, quote-unquote, seeing the scales fall before his eyes. But another part of this show that is really ingrained with, a other, with another key part of uh, hyper-sensationalized culture in America is the cult scene at the end where everybody drinks rat poison and commits mass suicide. 
you know, we've seen those kinds of stories before. Mike Flanagan even stated himself that that scene at the end where everybody drinks the poison is a direct reference to the Jonestown Massacre. I talked about this earlier, but the scene where Annie Flynn is talking to Bev and saying how God doesn't love you more than anyone else. Yeah, I think that is it's one of my favorite scenes in the entire series, second only to the scene where they all start singing in the end. You said you thought it was creepy. I love that scene because it's this culmination of all the themes. And I think it's a such a good portrayal of what religion could be if we didn't manipulate it to our own selfish whims. It's just people coming together at the very end. They've come to terms with their death and they're singing and they're holding onto each other until the end. And even with, um, this is universal cross religion because you have Sheriff Hassan and his son and they're doing their prayers on the beach right before they die. And it's it's so beautiful and it's so beautifully contrasted with Bev trying to dig into the sand and just I think about the last episode a lot, clearly. <laughs> it's just it's so good. And it's I think it's a very good show for atheists like me to watch because it gives you such a good portrayal of religion and such an interesting exploration of grief and forgiveness and what religion can be to you and how it can help you through that loss if you let it, if you want it. It just it's really, really good. And as someone who usually shies away from any kind of media revolving around religion, it really spoke to me in a way I wasn't expecting. Yeah, the show is really powerful. And I think being able to use dialogue in such a way to portray religion as this really powerful, charismatic tool, but then also show in different ways, in more subtle ways, especially connecting to that ending scene where they sing the hymns and where Ali and Hassan are praying to the sunrise. In those more subtle ways, we can see how religion is a beautiful thing that doesn't have to be turned into this powerful, evil, charismatic being. And I think I also have to shout out Hamish Linklater and Samantha Sloyan for playing Father Pruitt and Bev Keen so well because it their performances really just draw you into this world. And it's like, it's a complete separation of who they are as people in real life. And side note, I was watching Grey's Anatomy soon after I watched Midnight Mass and I saw Samantha Sloyan who plays Penny in Grey's Anatomy, who she shows she up in like season 12 or something. That was bizarre because two completely different characters. And that just... <laughs> Just side note from me, I don't know. It's just, God, this show is so good. Yeah, really, really well-picked actors, well-picked cinematography, well-written dialogue. I think this is a really good show yeah. worth everybody's time. Absolutely. All right, and now on to everyone's favorite section that we don't prepare for, Song of the Week. We both have ours this time. I do, I do. Yeah. Um, I'll go first because you went first last time. All right. Okay, so my Song of the Week is Orange Juice. By Noah Kayan, off, off of his album, Stick Season. I went to his concert. He played in Boston um, this past weekend. Amazing. It was good. It, it was, was good. so good. 5,000 people on their feet singing along. God, it was so good. I've heard that album is really amazing. It's so I need good. to listen to it. You absolutely should. All right. I think this is like maybe one of the first and only times Joy and I's music tastes are going to match, guys. So put this yeah. in the history books. Yeah, you, um, you really <laughs> My song is a classic. I just haven't listened to it a lot until recently, but one of my 
this is going to be a long story. One of my roommates has a big vinyl collection, and one of the vinyls he has is the Awesome Mix Volume 1 from Guardians of the Galaxy. We all know that's a great mixtape, and the song of the week for me is from that mixtape. It's Go All the Way by the Raspberries, so please go listen to that. It's a classic rock banger. And that's our episode for this week. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. See y'all next time. This episode was written by Joy Gu and Rob Pereira. Also edited by Joy Gu and produced and mixed by Rob Pereira. Special thanks to the BU School of Communication for their studio and to Northeastern University. You can find Keylight on all podcasting platforms and make sure to be notified of new episodes by following our Instagram and Twitter accounts, both at KeylightPod. Thanks.